Uh, let's pray uh, before we hear God speak to us in his word. <clears throat> Father, we, we pray that we would listen to you now. Please work in us by your spirit to help us to understand, to give us hearts to respond faithfully and to put our trust in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, a few days ago, uh, my wife introduced me to a TV show called Fixer Upper. Fixer Upper. Has anyone seen this show? In this show, uh, husband and wife team Chip the Handyman and Joanna the Stylist fix up people's houses. They find a cheap, dingy old house and they take it from gross to glorious. They knock out the walls, they rip up the carpet, they put in new furniture. All of the, all of the 1970s fake wood panelling gets chucked out, is replaced by clean white surfaces and modern fittings and farmhouse chic wooden beams. And people love this show. They love it. In fact, this show has created something of a tourism boom in its hometown of Waco, Texas, as people come to see the couple's work. Uh, in fact, according to, to Wikipedia, sales of barn doors and clawfoot baths have shot up due to the popularity of this show. Uh, Fixer Upper isn't the only show like this at the moment, is it? There are hundreds of these shows, home improvement shows. There's The Block, Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, there's Bargain Mansions, Buying Blind, Backyard Envy. The list goes on and on and on with these shows. Now, I reckon they're so popular because watching this restoration is so satisfying. We love seeing things being restored, of, of going from broken to fixed, from dirty to clean, from mess to order. And it's not just houses. We love to fix up old cars. We love to cultivate a beautiful garden. We love to restore old furniture. I myself love fixing up old toys. Uh, I get heaps of practice. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. I, I get so much practice at fixing toys. But it is so satisfying. So satisfying. We even work on ourselves, don't we? It's a new year, time for a new you. We love working on our bodies. We shape them and groom them to look glorious. Now, last year I turned 40 and I'm definitely feeling like a bit of a physical fixer-upper at this point in my life. We love restorations. We love restorations. But my real question this morning, my serious question this morning is are you a bit of a spiritual fixer-upper? Do you ever feel like you need a bit of work on the inside? I certainly know that I do. Are there messes in your life that you wish you could clean up? Are there broken relationships to mend? Are there bad decisions you wish you could undo? Is your spiritual life not only a bit empty, but a bit ugly? Are you a spiritual fixer-upper? It's a deep problem, isn't it? This is, one of, this is a hard one to fix. It's a hard problem to fix, but one that would be so satisfying to see fixed. Let's have a look at Psalm 85. Psalm 85. This is a song written 
by temple musicians, uh, some people called the sons of Korah, for the people of ancient Israel. You can see there in the title of the psalm, says it's for the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. And the song begins with the people looking back to a time when God has saved them. They say God showed favour to the land. God restored the fortunes of the people. He fixed them up. But you'll notice that this restoration wasn't just a physical thing. No, this is a spiritual salvation. Now, their land may have been in danger from uh, famine or disease or war. We, we don't exactly know. But here, the focus is on the spiritual danger that they were in. They had offended God deeply and God was angry with them. But God graciously turned his anger away. He turned it aside. He forgave them. They say God covered over their sin. It's like he, he, he took it and wrapped it up in a blanket and took it away. And so that, that meant that Israel's fortunes were turned around from disaster to this restoration. Have a look here in the first three verses of this psalm. Verse, uh, psalm 85, verses 1 to 3. Read it with me. You, Lord, showed favour to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. That's another way of describing Israel. You, you forgave the iniquity of your people and covered, uh, covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. And then we jump forward a bit in time. Again, now they're in trouble. The people plead, restore us again, God, like you did before. Again, the root of the trouble is sin. And God's anger still burns. God's anger still burns. But even though God is, is furious at their sin, it's God himself who is the only solution. God is the one who saves the people sing of God's unfailing love, his unfailing love. This is a special love that God has for his people Israel. It means that God sticks with them because he has made a covenant with them, an agreement. He sticks with them even though they continually turn away from him over and over throughout their history. And so now in this psalm, the people are confident to, to sing to God, even the God who is angry with them because they know God's love. And they have the boldness to even ask some questions to God. They ask God, will you be angry with us forever? Will you, or are you not the God who restores? They have this great confidence because they know God's love for them. It's not the sort of cheap confidence where, where they're trying to use God as a free ride to safety. Now you can see here in the psalm as well, that these people want to be restored because they want a relationship with God. They want to enjoy God. God is angry with their sin, yet they still turn to him. Let's see it in verses 4 to 7. Read on again in verse, verse 4 to 7. Restore us again, God our Saviour, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. So that's their request. They've put the request to God. And in the next section, 
the psalmist himself, he resolves to stop, to pause, and to listen for a response. Because God is the God who speaks peace to those who listen to him. God speaks peace. Peace here means harmony, uh, uh, wholeness, a, 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 a fixed right relationship with God. It's another way of describing the restoration that Israel des- desires. And the psalmist tells, tells Israel as he sings with them, this is how you receive restoration. Develop two, two attitudes, two attitudes. Firstly, be faithful to God. Stick with him for salvation. Don't, don't go off on your own thinking that you're okay or that you can fix yourself. The psalmist calls that folly, foolishness. Some people might call it self-confidence, going your own way and doing it all yourself. But the psalmist says that rejecting God's offer of peace is just foolish. No, be faithful to God. Stick with him. And secondly, the attitude should be fear God. Have a, have, have, have a love for him that is filled with awe. Honour him. Respect him. So the psalmist says, listen to God. Wait for his restoration. Be faithful to him and fear him. And if that's the response that the people have, then a glorious restoration will follow. When salvation comes, God's glory will live in the land. The aim of this restoration, you see, is to create a home for God and the people to live together. God's glory will dwell in the land. Let's have a look there in verse 8 and 9. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. And the psalmist spends the rest of the psalm expanding on this picture of glory dwelling in the land. The the glory for Israel won't, won't primarily be in the form of strength and success and a big army and lots of wealth. No, the glory for Israel is actually God's presence in the land. It's living with God. In God's presence, the people will experience all of the beauty of God's character, God's personality, if you like. God's characteristics will so completely fill the land that they will kind of be like his, the land's inhabitants. The psalmist describes love and peace meeting together, and living together. He describes righteousness filling the sky and, and faithfulness kind of growing up out of the ground like wheat. God's character lives in the land. His personality will, will flow through it and God and people will be perfectly united in this land. Yes, God may restore the physical fortunes of Israel in response to this psalm. He, but the point here is that the land will be a spiritually flourishing place. God will be with people. They will enjoy him. Let's read the rest of this psalm from verse 10. Love and faithfulness meet together. 
Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. It's a beautiful picture. God turning his anger away, but not only that, coming to dwell with the people in harmony. But what are we seeing in this psalm? Firstly, the people cry for restoration. They need to have sin fixed. They need to have sin fixed. They need to escape God's anger. But they are confident because they know of God's faithful love. And so the psalmist encourages them to stop and listen in humility, to turn to God, to turn away from foolish pride and to wait for this glorious restoration that will finally come of a life uh, dwelling with God, surrounded by his perfect presence. As I said, their land may have been in physical danger, but even the original singers of this psalm knew that the deep problem was sin. They knew that they were spiritual fixer-uppers and they knew that true and final restoration, when it came, would be so much more than just a material thing. It will be life with God. But throughout the history, as, as they sang this psalm in temple worship, the people of ancient Israel, well, they had to wait. They had to wait a long time. They could keep singing uh, verse 5 of the psalm over and over, which says, Will you be angry forever? Generation after generation, they could sing that. Because their sin wasn't dealt with fully and finally by temple sacrifices. They just had to be kept repeating over and over and over again. They had to wait. The full answer to their cry for restoration didn't come until hundreds of years after this psalm. In the psalm, the people cry in verse 7, show us your unfailing love, Lord. Show us your love. Friends, in Romans chapter 5, it says this in verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, God's faithful love has been shown in the death of Jesus for humanity. Again, back in the psalm in verse 4, they sing, Restore us again, God our Saviour, and put away your displeasure with us. Put away your displeasure. Again, the answer comes in Jesus. Romans chapter 5 again says in verse 9, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath, God's anger, God's displeasure through him? through Jesus. The psalm asks the question, will God be angry with us forever? Will he be angry with us forever? And the answer comes in Jesus, no, he won't be angry forever because Jesus has paid the price. Through Jesus, God speaks peace to those who listen. And this isn't just the answer for ancient Israel. This is for everyone, all nations, at all times. And what's more, 
not only does Jesus fix sin, <coughs> excuse me, fix sin, but Jesus himself is God dwelling with us. In John chapter 1, it says this. I've printed verse 14 there on your outline. John speaks of Jesus, the word of God, and he says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus dwells with people as God. Jesus dwelt with people in Israel 2,000 years ago, in history, on earth. And today, because he rose from the dead, he dwells with Christians by his Spirit. As he dwells with people, Jesus displays God's glory. When we look to Jesus, we can see all of those personality traits that we saw in the psalm. Jesus is the man of perfect righteousness, love, peace, faithfulness. And what's more, if we trust in Jesus, the Bible says that we can share in some of that. We can share in God's righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. It says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If we trust in Jesus, God sees us as righteous, as righteous as Jesus. Gone from spiritual fixer-uppers to righteous like Jesus. Restored. And because of this, because of what Jesus has done and what he does in people... That picture of a land overflowing with love and righteousness comes true, not in a physical land, but in a group of people, in the church. We see God's characteristics displayed not in hills and trees and streams, but in people. And God prepares those people through his spirit for a life of eternal life with him. When Jesus returns, we'll be fully transformed completely restored to live with God forever in heaven. The Bible calls it the home of righteousness. It's God's new land. It's God's final dwelling place with his people. Do you see how all of the longings of this psalm, all of its hope, all of its promises, they're all fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus covers over our sin and restores us. And in Jesus, we have the promise of a glorious home with God. What a wonderful picture. So what should we do in response to this picture? Well, I hope that you know what it feels like to be a spiritual fixer-upper. I hope you know that feeling. Because, friends, that's all of us. We all are. I hope you realise you need a solution to that deep problem. Because the one thing I want for you to today, well, the one thing I want you to take away is knowing that in Jesus you can be restored. The one thing I'd like is is that for you to be able to say, yes, I have done that. I have accepted God's offer of peace. Whether it's years ago or whether it was this morning. So take hold of that restored life. Take hold of it. Four, Four things to say about taking hold of the restored life. Number one, firstly, you might need to admit 
that you're a bit of a fixer-upper, that you're broken by sin. The Bible says that all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No exceptions. There's no use denying it. In fact, remember this psalm calls it foolishness to deny that you need God. If you want restoration, you need to start by admitting that you need it and then accept God's offer of peace. Say to him, I'm broken, I'm not glorious. Please have Jesus restore me. That is exactly the right response. That is the fear of God. That's first. Admit that you need Jesus. Secondly, if you've already been fixed up by Jesus, then remember it. Remember it day by day. You have undergone a permanent restoration. Your sin is covered. Yes, you will still sin here and now. But if you ask for forgiveness... You do not have to be burdened by guilt. God's anger is not on you. God's anger has been turned away. So remember what Jesus has done. And so, thirdly, this is the third application. If that's true, then delight in God's presence now. If you trust Jesus, God lives in you by his spirit. God's glory dwells in you. There is peace between you and him. You are in harmony. So, enjoy him. Enjoy his love, his faithfulness, his righteousness. Enjoy him like you would another a friend or a family member. Someone who you just love spending time with. But remember, what other relationship do you have like this one? Enjoy it. I wonder if you've spent time recently just thinking about how Uh, enjoyable God's person is particularly as we live here and now in in a broken world a world still feeling the effects of sin take time to enjoy God and finally fourthly the restored life means looking forward look forward to your life your new life in the new heavens and the earth your life with God Remember this full and final restoration, it's God dwelling with us, where we are surrounded by his love and faithfulness and sin is nowhere to be seen. We will see God face to face and share in his glory. And friends, as we think of heaven, uh, I think we should value God's character more than we do. Sometimes when we think of heaven, we think it'll be like a personalised buffet lunch. It's just a long list of all these things that we enjoy as tailored to me, never-ending series of entertainments for me. Now, heaven is going to be great fun. It is going to be very enjoyable. But friends, the emphasis in the Bible constantly is on God who is there and his son, Jesus. Restoration is more than just having a great place for me to live forever. Restoration is about a relationship with God and enjoying him forever. So please, delight in the thought of him for eternity, of spending eternal life with him.
Friends, we all need this. We're all spiritual fixer-uppers. We all need restoration. The Psalm 85 is good news for us, isn't it? Jesus can restore us. He can forgive our sins. He promises eternal life where we enjoy God himself. So, won't you respond today by listening, by accepting restoration and then delighting that God dwells with you? Let's pray. Father God, we admit that we are all broken by sin. We're sorry for our rebellion against you. Please help each of us to turn to Jesus for restoration. We praise you that you have graciously turned your anger aside. Please help us to fear you, to remember our salvation, and to delight in the promise of life with you. And Lord, we await eagerly that day when Jesus returns to bring us to dwell perfectly with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.